Father in heaven, we just thank you again for this time. And we pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would be present. Father, we are here seeking you. Um, Lord, we're here to seek your face, to understand what is the will of God for our lives today. So God, as we worship you in spirit and truth, we pray and ask that the word of God would become living and active in our very experience today. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've been talking about some very interesting things, and um, looking for my sermon notes. Oh, there they go in my pocket. Here we go. Okay. See, this is why it's good to memorize sermons. You never know when you need to preach one. Okay. We've been talking about various things that are taking place in our church today. We've been talking about the ministry of Series Church and what God is up to. We've talked about various things He is leading our church to experience and participate in. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well um, a little bit later on. Um, we do have some very special news for you. I even got another confirmation of this. And we're trusting God day by day on this experience. And that is this. Um, we have found a church in Patterson that has agreed to uh, allow us to rent their facilities. And starting in the end, at the end of May, we will begin the Patterson Seventh-day Adventist Church. Amen? And that's going to require a lot of hard work. And that means we're going to need missionaries from this church. We're going to go over there and take up uh, a ministry there, to take up the, the mantle of ministry there. And so this is going to be a very exciting experience, something we're all going to be able to participate in some way. But ladies and gentlemen, now is the time that God is wanting to have some kind of memorial in every city. That's councils, actually, those words, a memorial in every city. I believe that uh, Patterson, when you think about it, there are over 20,000 people there, okay? We're about the closest Adventist church, which is about 25 to 30 minutes away. They've just opened up a gigantic Amazon warehouse. It's also a bedroom city for people who live in the Bay Area. Um, there are a lot of things that are happening in that area, and we really believe that God is opening the doors over there. And day by day, we're following Him in this, and we're trying to understand what is His will. But we have secured a location. In fact, the pastor emailed me this morning. Uh, starting at the very end of May is when we will begin services there. Um, for a while, there may be some of us who will be over there during Sabbath mornings. I'll be preaching back and forth as well as Pastor Ted and some other individuals as well. We really want God to be leading this endeavor, right? And uh, we really believe that God is calling us to fulfill the gospel commission. And every time a soul is one, a church is set up, we are one step closer to the second coming, Right? So this is something to be prayerful about. We'll talk a little bit more later on about this. But I just wanted to put that bug in your ear and just to get excited about what's taking place. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking about love stories in the Bible. In fact, when I was in Loma Linda, I was really praying about the noon meetings. I did the noon meetings at Loma Linda University campus. And last year, they told me only about 50 students came out. And so I was really praying about this, and I was like, God, what do you want me to talk about? I felt very impressed to talk about love stories in the Bible. Now, just think about this, okay? You have a lot of college students there. We had over 250 people show up every single day um, that we had these meetings. All glory to God, right? And they're very excited to learn biblical principles about relationships. 
You had PhD students, MD students, dental students, you name it, everything across the spectrum. But the most remarkable thing was that many people were just really surprised and shocked that the Bible actually had some principles about relationships, about romance. And this is, this is very important. None of us here have a perfect relationship. Amen? In fact, there's only one perfect relationship that exists in the Bible. Only one. And that is Jesus and his Father. All other relationships that exist in the Bible are imperfect. Because you're dealing with sinful men. And so when you're trying to understand um, uh, romantic principles in the scriptures, we need to understand uh, we're never going to find an exact formula. But it is something we need to strive for and try to head towards that direction. Can you say amen to that? And so we're trying to understand biblical relationship principles. We're trying to understand what is God up to in these times. It's amazing, ladies and gentlemen. When we look back in scripture, we begin to notice something very startling. You know, when I was speaking before uh, several of the students, I described something that as I was describing, I was really shocked to even say it. But I knew the Spirit of God was impressing me. When you read about the people that existed before the flood, the Bible says not too much about them except that every thought of their heart was wicked. Violence filled the world. Probably uh, the reason why less is said is probably communicating that there was so much evil going on, it's better just to say little. But as I began studying the chapter that was about the people who were destroyed by this flood, what really shocked me was that the Bible points out the greater sin was not the generation that was destroyed or being committed by the generation that was destroyed. The greater sin was caused by the generation that existed prior. And when you actually read the generations that existed prior, it says this. Then the sons of God went into the what? Daughters of the, uh, uh, of the earth. In other words, the Bible was actually describing the generations that existed prior to the generation that had to be destroyed. The Bible was pointing out it was this mixture that was taking place that eventually would have produced this kind of dangerous offspring. In fact, when you read about the early church after Christ left, it was when the early church began to marry the world that one of the most dangerous institutions this world has ever seen was set up. Martyred over 100 million Christians. So as we begin to understand these principles, we need to realize, wait a minute, there's more at stake than just our mere happiness. The future is at stake. And this is why God wants us to understand what the Bible is actually teaching about these things because he wants us to be ready for what's taking place. Now, what we're going to be looking at today is something very unusual, something as you begin to see the various verses, there's just about five or six verses here. I put them up there so you don't even have to just, uh, you know, keep trying to find them. In fact, I would actually rather you try to find them, but I want you to pay attention to this because you're going to see a progression. You're going to see a kind of growth take place with this godly couple. And when I was speaking at Loma Linda University, I called this uh, the Bible's most powerful evangelistic couple in the New Testament. And what we're going to be learning about is two special people by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. 
You know, when you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts, you just look at it, and it's just this amazing book about, you know, church growth. It's an amazing book about evangelism. It's an amazing uh, book about how God set up this, this powerful movement that would end up changing the world. And what we're seeing surface level are these things. But when you actually read the book of Acts, you see the inner workings that produced those kinds of effects. And part of the inner workings that produced that kind of effect that had that powerful influence was various individuals who began to show up on the scene. Take a good look at what the scriptures are teaching here in Acts chapter 18, starting with verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to where? Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named who? Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife who? Priscilla. Now notice this, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. In fact, I was reading one scholarly report about this. One of the reasons why this emperor had kicked out all these Jews and all these uh, Christians was because they began to preach about Jesus. In fact, the report said because at the, of the instigation of one called Crestus, he removed all these people from that area. So Aquila and Priscilla, just think about this, they had been living in this area for some time. This couple, there's not too much that's said about them. They've been living at this, in this area for some time. They set up their business, probably having, a, maybe have a house, maybe some kind of family. We're not sure. But they apparently had put some roots down, and something unusual took place. They were then kicked out of that area. And then begins providential workings. You know, oftentimes when you're reading the scripture, it's when tragedy strikes, it's when tribulation happens, the next step is a very remarkable step that takes place by God. When you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, the story of Ruth starts off with great tragedy. But then it ends up in this very beautiful picture. Not that God caused a tragedy, but he brought great good out of it. When you read the book of Job, the same thing. So in this situation, if something very inconvenient happens to Aquila and Priscilla. For some reason, they're forced to move from this area. And as they begin this journey, look what the Bible says next. And he came to them. So because he, talking about Paul, was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. And for by occupation, they were by what? Tent makers. So Aquila and Priscilla had to leave because some crazy thing took place. And you can imagine, probably wasn't the best of times. But as they were in this particular area, Paul the Apostle begins to show up. And he begins to talk to them. And we don't know what kind of conversation takes place, but what we do understand is this. That apparently they decided to take him in, and he wasn't lazy about, you know, his stay. And as this couple begins to bring him into their house... They begin to all work together in this trade. Okay, now you're going to see something amazing in this study. I promise you this, okay? It's going to be something mind-blowing. But as Aquila and Priscilla welcome Paul into their house, now we're going to have some discussion. What characteristic were they displaying right here? Oh, that's easy, right? Now, can someone please define what hospitality is? It's the stuff Old Testament people do, right? What is hospitality? Sharing with people what you have. Okay, anybody else? Just raise your hand. What is hospitality? Giving of yourself. Yes. Making people feel at home, right? Who do not feel at home, right? Because of circumstances, okay? Notice this. These, this couple right here possesses this characteristic of hospitality. In fact, you know what is so interesting? I was doing an etymological research uh, uh, study on the word hospitality. It's the word hospital. The word hospital comes out of the word hospitality. What happens at a hospital, ladies and gentlemen? 
People are being taken care of. But guess what? It doesn't stop right there. The word hospitality also has the root word hostile in it. In other words, what this word represented was you would take strangers or even enemies and you would take care of them. And so when you actually read about Aquila and Priscilla, not much is said about their interaction or what was previously talked about, but apparently they saw somebody who needed help. He was involved in ministry, and they said, hey, we want you to join us. Take, we'll take care of you. We'll work with you. And this is mind-blowing. When you begin to see something positive that they displayed that eventually led to marvelous things that would take place in the future. When you read the Old Testament... Hospitality was one of the primary characteristics. In fact, there was a movie that just came out. I was uh, also reading the book. It's called Lone Survivor. Anybody ever heard of that book called Lone Survivor? It's a very interesting book. It's a true story. It happened several years ago. And it's the story of SEAL Team 10. SEAL Team 10 had gone in to do some reconnaissance on this Taliban leader in the Hindu Kush area of Afghanistan. And as they were there... They were scoping out this Taliban uh, camp. And as they were there on that mountaintop, looking through these binoculars, high-powered scopes, all of a sudden, a goat herder and his son showed up, who happened to be in the area. And they saw each other. They didn't know what to do. The SEAL team just immediately jumped on them, tied them up. We're wondering, what in the world do we do with this goat herder and his son? If we let them go, they're going to race down, tell the Taliban, they're going to come back, and they're going to kill us. They didn't know what to do. Other option was to kill them. And so they're really weighing this out and debating the whole case. But eventually they made the decision they were going to let them go. And they were going to race up that hill as fast as they could and get out of there. And so that's what they did. And sure enough, the goat herder and his son ran down, told the Taliban camp, and all of a sudden 20 and 30 insurgents were on their trail. They tracked them. There was a firefight. Killed off every one of the SEAL team members except for one person, Marcus Sutrell. Injured in the firefight. And as he was making his way, trying to escape from all these Taliban shooting with these AK-47s, he continued to move, and they were tracking him, trying to kill him. True story. And eventually he came upon an Afghanistan camp. He gets to this camp, and as he's there... These men who show up at the entrance, these elders, don't know what to do. But they begin to, do, they begin to recall something that was very present in their tradition. And this was it. Pashtan, or Pashtanwali, which was a more than a thousand-year-old tradition that if someone comes to your camp in need, you will sacrifice life and resources to protect them. And you know what this tribe did? They welcomed this injured soldier, begin to nurse him. And they begin to actually send, out, send somebody out to the American base. What is so remarkable about this is the Taliban begin to approach the camp, threaten the elders, said, you better give us this soldier or we're going to kill you. And these Afghanistans, I mean, they could have just said, hey, we're going to get rid of you. We'll just let this American soldier go. We'll let him be killed. But because of this tradition of hospitality and protecting somebody who was in need, They risk their own life. Let me tell you today, that camp is still being threatened by the Taliban. The American soldier was able to get some help. Uh, They kept him there for several days, and finally the Air Forces came in. They rescued that soldier. 
But it's so interesting to see, even in these ancient cultures that are still existing, this powerful characteristic of hospitality is still present. Now, when we're thinking about our own spiritual experience and we're thinking about our families, let's ask ourselves the question, wait a minute, is hospitality part of our spiritual experience? Well, how many times has the pastor been invited to your house? Now, you may say, Pastor, you should just show up whenever you're, you, know, you feel like it. But here's the thing. I'm just joking with you about that. But I want you to understand something. See, we're really good about inviting the well-known people in the church. What about the people who are not so well-known? Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to understand something about Aquila and Priscilla, this powerful couple. As much as they, uh, or as little as they knew about Christ, or whatever their experience was, they decided to let Paul become part of this experience. But I want you to see the next stage of their growth. This is very remarkable right here, as they brought Paul into their experience. Look what the Bible says next. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. Now watch this next step in their growth. And Priscilla and Aquila were what? Ladies and gentlemen, what did Aquila and Priscilla decide to do, this godly couple? They decided they were going to follow him. In other words, you know what began to happen in their new experience? They decided they were going to start praying about the will of God and go where God was leading them. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the great things we need to understand about having godly relationships or being part of a godly couple is to be able to pray together about where God is leading us. And when we understand this principle, we begin to see, wait a minute, this was present in Priscilla and Quilla. They were individuals who began to follow the spirit of God's guidance. You know, we're told so many things about uh, situations that are going to happen at the end of time. And many people who refuse to leave their houses and homes when tragedy, when, um, uh, you know, all sorts of things begin to take place in Bible prophecy. And people who refuse to leave their home, who don't know how to listen to the voice of God, will be caught in big trouble. That's why God teaches us today that, look, hey, today you need to learn to follow the will of God together. And Aquila and Priscilla both made this decision. By the way, you will never see them in Scripture apart from one another. They're always together. Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Because they were a team. They were a powerful team. And where one went, the other went. And so in this next stage of their experience, they begin to pray about God's will, and they realized that it was to follow Paul. And as Paul began to make his missionary journeys, this couple realized, hey, we need to do the will of God. You know, we've been talking about church planting. We've been talking about this church that's going to be set up, Lord willing, in about 20, 30 minutes from here. But as I said to you earlier, it's going to require missionary couples, missionary families, people who are willing to say, you know what? I may live in Ceres, I may live in Modesto, but I believe God is calling me to be a missionary at this church plant. In fact, I actually have our banner that we're going to be setting up. It's called the Patterson Discover Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is going to be a church, a small church is going to start off. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. But it's going to be one where we're going to have to step in. There are no tradition, no roots that are there, but we're going to have to come in there with the biblical framework, spirit-led, and we're going to have to build this thing from ground up. And this is going to require missionaries. It doesn't mean you can't come to a series anymore, but it does mean 
that God is calling you to be committed to this. And this is something you need to start praying about. Lord, are you calling me to be part of this church plant that's going to take place in Patterson? This is extremely important because this is the time we need to start praying. You know, one of the most beautiful, powerful pictures you see of godliness in people is when both the husband and wife will come together and whenever a decision needs to be made, they say, we'll pray about it. You know, it's so interesting. I go to my friend Andrew's house. He lives in Hanford. I usually stop at his house on the way down to Southern California and on the way back up. And sometimes we'll go do things. And uh, (laughs) I remember one time I called him up and he was like, I was like, hey, can we go do this? And he's like, yeah, hold on a second. Let me go ask my wife. And I chuckled. I was like, and I was like, you know. Um, But anyways, what he said, he's like, let me go talk to my wife, okay? And he goes, talks to his wife. And you know what I begin to realize about this couple? Anytime a major decision needs to be made or something that would require them to be apart for a period of time, they make the decision together prayerfully. You know what I mean? So when we're thinking about like bigger decisions, of course we need to be prayerful about it. We need to understand where the Spirit of God is leading us. Because where he is leading us to, he is calling us to that and to be a part of that ministry and to be part of that experience. God has blessings in store. But if we're not open to the Spirit of God, if we're not willing to pray together in our relationships, ladies and gentlemen, we will miss what God is up to and miss the powerful blessings that he has in store. Now watch the third thing that begins to take place in the growth of Aquila and Priscilla, this powerful evangelistic couple. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, let's do a little bit of Bible study and thought. What was Alexandria known for, ladies and gentlemen? It was known for the library, right? That was also destroyed, Alexander's library. It was a place of learning and education. People who came from there were philosophers, they were academics, they were scholars. Apollos was somebody who came from that region. What else does the Bible say about Apollos? He was a what? He was an eloquent person. In other words, when he spoke, he knew how to speak in such a way that people heard him. It was like, yeah, when this guy is speaking, we're listening. Look what else the Bible says. Mighty in the scriptures. This man understood the Old Testament so well, the Bible actually says he was mighty in it, powerful. Can you imagine trying to witness to a guy like this? Someone who speaks better than you? who knows more than you? Someone who has a background in education and learning? Well, let's see what happens next. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. This man, who had the experience with John the Baptist, had partial truth. And as he was there and he began to speak, all of a sudden the Bible says something interesting about Aquila and Priscilla. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to see what happens next in their growth. Number one, they allowed Paul to become part of their experience. Number two, they begin to follow the Spirit of God. And number three, they begin to witness and minister together. You know, oftentimes we think to ourselves, smart people can only win smart people. Intelligent people can only win intelligent people. But what you discover in this particular circumstance is this. 
For a man like Apollos, who, by the way, became one of the most powerful evangelists, powerful workers in all the New Testament, the way he was won was not by so much by argument or reason. It was by the loving example of a godly couple. Ladies and gentlemen, this is remarkable when you begin to understand this concept. You know, as I said before, it was just like we usually think, oh, yeah, you, you, you got to be educated. You got to be intelligent. You got to be smart to reach out to people. You are wrong about that. Much of the New Testament teaches us this idea that the disciples were untrained and uneducated, but because they had an experience with Jesus, they were able to share powerfully and had effects. You know, it's so funny. You have people who, who, who've never had any theological training in our church that are winning thousands of people, and then you have the theologians in our church that can't get out of the classroom who aren't winning a single soul. And it's not because God is saying, don't be educated, but because God is trying to teach us a lesson that education needs to be prioritized correctly with the Spirit of God involved in that teaching process. Paul was one of the greatest apostles. He had an education background, but he had to unlearn all that he had learned. So in this situation, you had Aquila and Priscilla. You had this couple who the Bible says very little about, but they begin to learn under this ministry. And when they saw this powerful, eloquent, educated man, they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to witness to him. And so after his sermon, they pulled him aside and they said, can we take a seat with you? And you know what they begin to do next? They begin to explain the word, the way of God more accurately. They begin to f- uh, finish up the, uh, the, you can say, they begin to fill in the holes of Old Testament prophecy to him. And as he began to see and recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, the Spirit of God was also convicting him on their godly example. You know what's so interesting? There are some men, <laughs> I'm going to word this correctly without, getting, without putting myself in a position of being stoned afterwards. There are some men who, when somebody else talks to them, they really aren't listening. But when you have someone with a motherly voice begin to speak, all of a sudden, they listen. You know, that's the way I grew up. When you had someone who, who was a strong female, um, you know, leader, and she spoke, it was like, this is the time I don't talk anymore. So there's some unusual dynamics that take place between the male and female gender in conversation, even in Bible study. It's remarkable to see when both the husband and wife are sharing something with somebody, there, there's this sort of multi-pronged um, effect that that person is having, not just on the intellectual side, but also the emotional side. And someone like Apollos, this mighty man of Scripture, was actually converted by this lowly couple. Not because of their great knowledge, but because of their experience with God and because of their character. So here we begin to understand something about this powerful evangelistic couple. We understand, number one, they were hospitable to Paul. They combined with uh, Paul's efforts. Number two, we begin to understand they begin to follow the Spirit of God as he was leading them. And number three, it doesn't say Paul was involved in this process. It simply teaches this couple said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to reach out together. And Aquila and Priscilla, this power team, began to do ministry together. And as they did it, even someone who had this background that we might think would be anti-Christian was convicted of the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, the most powerful argument 
on behalf of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian. Amen? But just imagine two loving and lovable Christians. Can you imagine the power that has on this world? You know, this world is full of broken relationships. It's full of fractured families. And uh, when you are sharing the gospel together, part of a family, an organic unit, you will be surprised at the great effects that take place because of that ministry. Now you may think to yourself, well, my husband does all the talking and I do all the praying. That may be the case. But I believe God is calling us to re-examine this and say, okay, wait a minute. How can we both minister in such a way this person knows that Jesus absolutely loves him? Amen? So here we are, we begin to understand some things. Number one, they allowed Paul to come into their ministry. Number two, they begin to follow the Spirit of God. Number three, they begin to do outreach. They begin to minister. But here is where you begin to see even most more growth take place in the life of this godly couple. This is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Look what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 16, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now watch this. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my what? Life. Now you see this growth that is happening with this lowly couple. They go from stage to stage to stage. Now they're like Paul. He even calls them my fellow workers. This is nobody he's just witnessing to. These people, he says, are on my level. This couple. And then he says this. They risked their own necks for my life. Which then begins to reveal to us another powerful characteristic that began to grow in this couple. And this was it courage. This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, always together, the tag team, began to grow in their character. They began to become more courageous, and they began to reach out together, and they would do things even at the risk of their own life. Can you say amen to that? You see what is happening in the growth of this marvelous team. But ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't just stop there. This is powerful right here. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the name of the Lord. Now watch this. With the church that is in their what? <gasps> Are you seeing the growth? Yes or no? They're going from stage to stage to stage to stage to stage to stage. And now you know what this couple is doing? They have a home. They said, you know what? We've set up this home. We've been doing tent making for a while. You know what we're going to do with this home? We're going to start inviting people over to worship here. Their home became a church. And this is all part of their spiritual growth process. God here is exposing something to us that helped make the book of Acts, the early church, a successful church. And that was, part of this was, this godly couple. They decided that their home, this place they had, was going to be a place that when people came by, they would feel close to God. That when people came by, they would be able to share the word of God. Sabbath afternoon, come on over. And they would make their home a sanctuary for weary souls. Ladies and gentlemen, what's your home like? How is... Your house, is it just four walls, bedrooms? Or is, actually, or is it actually a sanctuary for souls that need Jesus? Aquila and Priscilla reach this point. 
this powerful experience where their very home became a veritable Garden of Eden experience. I have friends who have so consecrated their house to God, who have so prayed that when you go into that home, it's as if you are coming into the presence of angels. It's just amazing. It's just an amazing experience. Now, somebody may say here, wait a minute. They say, Pastor, I'm single. Not me, you. You may be saying, you're single, and you're like, how does this even apply to me? Here's, I'm going to say two things. Number one, better to be a single person who wants to be married than be a married person who wants to be single. I should hear more amens for that. (laughs) Amen? And number two is this. God is presenting to you the ideal that his spirit can help you attain. God doesn't just set up these things and say, good luck. Try your best, son. Try your best, daughter. When he presents these things, it's with this purpose that he wants to help you reach this ideal. And so what you find out about this early church is that they begin to do this thing. And ladies and gentlemen, all these things that this couple did, you can still do in another uh, spectrum as a single person. In fact, take a good look at my house right here. I live in a shack. And you know what I do every Friday? This is only one half of the room, and the other half there's other people. Every Friday night, I make my place a place for young adults to come and to learn more about the Bible. And we have a dinner, and it's a sanctuary, especially Friday nights. And so when people are tired and worn out from the week, they can come to this place, and we have this Bible study, and the Spirit of God leads. And let me tell you something. This has probably been probably my, one of my most effective ministries I've ever done. You want to know why? Because from this household Bible study, Bible workers have come out. Pastors have come out. Evangelists have come out. And it's not because of me. It's because I began to open up my house. And as I said before, I rent a shack. Okay? There's nothing comfortable about this place. Ask the young adults. Half of them are sitting on the ground. But because... We have made this a sanctuary, a place, a church, where people will come to. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God is working. We've got to ask ourselves this question, wait a minute, is my home a church? Is it a place where people feel the love of Jesus? Is it a place where people understand God more and know that they have a place for their weary souls? God is calling us to understand this. And by the way, I'm going to say this right now. There are times coming, and we can already see them off in the distance, where the laws of man will come into contradiction with the laws of God. And if you think this building is going to stand during those times, you need to think again. The churches that we have now set up will be reduced to home churches. There will be no this place where we have people coming up and, you know, hey, let's sing some songs today, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to find that churches will be in homes and houses. And that's the way the early church started. It's the way the early Adventist church started. And it will be the way the early church ends. God wants us to recognize this. And this is why our home needs to be, they need to be sanctuaries, places where God wants to dwell. And I feel impressed to say this too. And if there's unholy things in that home, God is calling us. He is calling us to remove those things. Right? We need to start praying and say, God, I have a desire for this, 
but I know you don't want me to have it, and I just want to be honest with you. I need your help to help me to remove this. Amen? And when you do that, ladies and gentlemen, your house will be a place where angels love to dwell. That's what God wants to do with every family, with every home. And it's so remarkable because when you see what Romans 16, verse 3 says, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers. You know what's so interesting about that phrase, fellow workers? The Greek word is the word sunagros, which means, or at least where you pull out the English word, synergy. Synergy. What is synergy? Synergy is that, the, you could say, the, the sum total of combined units that has greater efficiency or greater output than that of individual efforts. The Bible here is teaching us something so remarkable about Aquila and Priscilla. They had synergy. They worked so well together, it was as if they worked as one unit, and as one unit was greater than them individually. And this is what the Bible is teaching, this powerful principle of godly couples in our church. And the more we start heading towards this um, goal, the more we will start seeing that people who come from broken lives and broken families and uh, broken backgrounds, they will come and they will find the love of Jesus in this place. They will find that here. Because they realize this is where I need to be. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to start re-examining these things. You know, when I was going through all these phases that Aquila and Priscilla were going through, it was amazing. I broke this down in about seven phases right here, or seven uh, categories that they actually experienced intimacy in. Trials, giving, work, purpose, ministry, growth, and home. Both Aquila and Priscilla were united in every category. When there was trial, they were united in that trial. When there was purpose, they were united in that purpose. When it came to give, even to Paul, they were united in that purpose. When it came to ministry, they were united in that purpose. When it came to their own spiritual growth, they were united in that purpose. And when it came to their home life, they were united in that purpose. And God was able to do powerful things through them that one of the greatest evangelists, Paulos, was one. That a church was set up. Multiple things took place in the book of Acts because of this lowly couple who together decided that they were going to serve God and follow his guidance. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to start really thinking and praying about this. To start asking ourselves the question, wait a minute, is my relationship with my spouse the same? What can we start doing? God is calling us with the very first step, and that is prayer. Spend time praying together. Spend time worshiping God and start examining your hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to give you happiness. He wants to give you happiness. And the happiest couples are those who are serving the Lord together. Amen? You know who always, to me, is one of the most powerful couples in our church? And no glory to them. I really love Chris and Sherry Nelson. Amen? Every time you see them, what are they doing? They're smiling, and it's not fake. It's real. And by the way, whenever time I ask Chris to do some kind of ministry, you know what he says to me? He goes, <laughs> I need to go ask my wife. That's what he always says to me. And I love it. You want to know why? Because that's an example. Huh? Amen. <laughs> She's patting him on the cheek right now. Yes. 
just made you the most popular couple in our church right now. But you know what it's communicating? It's communicating a picture of God, a beautiful picture of God on earth in a world that has lost its love. Even the Bible says, Matthew 24, the love of many will grow cold. The world is yearning for true love, for biblical love, for holy love, for a love that Jesus himself came to reveal. And it can be revealed in your experience regardless of your background. God wants to introduce this. And two people who are willing and open to the Spirit of God, if they follow God with their whole heart, they will see God do amazing things. This is what God wants to do. Amen? This is what God wants to do. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us today to start praying, to start really thinking about this, to start asking ourselves, Lord, where am I at with you in this? Sin broke the first couple and their relationship, but God came to restore in man the image of God that was lost. If you've been convicted, if you've been thinking to yourself, Lord, how can I do this in my experience? I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray and ask God to reproduce this experience in us. Father in heaven, Lord, there are so many versions of love in the world today. But God, you are calling us to behold you. And I thank you that the Spirit of God was present in Aquila and Priscilla, this lowly couple, these unsung heroes, that were part of the backbone of the early church. Lord, we pray their experience would be our experience. I pray for godly couples here, Lord. I pray for couples who desire to be godly, that they would submit themselves to the Spirit of God and begin to pray, Lord, what is thy will for both of us? And God, I know you've been longing to bless them. And may they sense and hear the still small voice. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.